morning church wow you guys taking a nap good morning church a lot better great to see all of you here uh, this morning some of you haven't seen in a while so I'm just going to kind of look at you that be right you look good you look good losing weight and everything right that's what we do during this time lose weight don't we we find out how much we like to cook during this time, don't we? All right. Well, it's great being with you guys this morning, and we want to begin our service um, this morning uh, considering um, a quote that I have for you guys uh, by A.W. Tozer. Uh, he's one of those guys you read, and you read a sentence, and then you need to think about it for a long time. And then you can read another sentence. But I really thought this was a very appropriate uh, quote. A few weeks ago, I ran up upon it, and I was like, hey, I need to write this down, wrote it on an envelope, and I'm like, I need to share it with the people, and I think it's a good, good, uh, certainly worthy of our consideration. Um, 
he said, we lose the joy of living in the present when we worry about the future. Well, who's got the future? The Lord's got the future. Who's got today? The Lord's got today. Who had yesterday? The Lord had yesterday. I think it's something that the church certainly needs to consider today, especially in the times that we're living in and with the challenges that we live in. That, um, do you know that the Lord has our days ordained? Every single one of them. The Bible says it's been appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. Who can change that appointment? No man. Isn't that great? We can't change it. So let's live like he's coming. And let's live like we believe that heaven is a promotion and not a demotion. How about that? And let's be the church. Let's be people who can express the freedom of worship that we have in a way that honors the Lord. And I am thrilled to see all of you today. And if you're visiting with us at Grace, we're thrilled you're here today and to be a part of our service. And we always like to center our service around the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ. That's who we are here at Grace. And uh, as long as I stand behind this pulpit, um, the Word of God is going to be held up. Because we need wisdom, don't we, that comes from God. So I want to um, take you through some scripture and just read the scripture for you. I think it's appropriate. It goes well with the quote um, by Tozer. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read the scriptures. Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. A section, no doubt, that you're very familiar with, but one that we could probably read over and over again, and there's still something new to learn. No one can serve two masters, the Lord said. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And you fill in the blank. You can't, listen, God has to be the priority. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Nor for your body is what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Isn't that a pretty awesome picture there? Are you not worth much more than they? Answer, yes. Made in the image and likeness of our God. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Um, you know, a cubit is 18 inches. So we don't add any time to our life. And I think we like to think we do. <laughs> but the Lord's in control of all that. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like, the one, like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much, uh, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what shall we clothe 
ourselves. So he's pretty much laying it out for those disciples, isn't he? Like, hey, you don't need to worry about those things. You don't control them anyway. For all these things, the Gentiles eagerly seek. That's true. We know that to be true, right? I mean, pagans today live for themselves and for things. That shouldn't be for us. He says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He's the provider. But seek first. Here's the priority. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Because of that, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Who's in charge of tomorrow? Not you and not me. It's the Lord. For tomorrow will care for itself. He's got it. And I always thought this was pretty humorous. (laughs) Each day has enough trouble of its own. And all God's people said amen to that, right? So you look at that, and you look at the quote by Tozer, and you're like, hey, let's just concentrate on right now, worshiping the Lord, and we have opportunities to be out in the world and to share the hope that we have. Let's do it. Because that's what the Lord expects of us. And he doesn't expect us to walk in life with fear and trembling. He expects us to focus on him and to trust him. Isn't that good? That's good. You can say that's good because it's God's word. And the wisdom is trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding in all. All your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. That'll preach all day long. Those are my mom's favorite verses. And it's almost been five years. It'll be five years Tuesday. My mom went to be with the Lord. And I can promise you this. When she laid there in that bed the last few days, and the last time I had a conversation with her before she went to be with the Lord on Tuesday, the last conversation I had with her was Saturday, where she was aware of what was going on. And she was ready to go meet her Savior. And so the question becomes for all of us to consider in this room right now. Right now. Not wait until later. Right now. Do you know if you close your eyes in death today that you'll be in the presence of the Lord? That is the most important thing to know. It is not how the stock market is going. Okay, It's not any of that. All those things are going to burn up. It's knowing that you know that you know Christ. And so I trust that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you know him. Hey, when we read passages like that, we go, we can't help but walk away and go, man, my God loves me. I hope you know that this morning. As you wrestle through this different time in our culture, we'll just put it that way. We need to let the Lord guide our thoughts and our actions. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us much to consider in your word. I thank you to know that it is your spirit that teaches us and leads us and guides us through the word. And hey, we're all human and we all certainly sin and fall short of your glory. And it's a daily battle. 
that battle of trusting you is every single, it seems like as I've gotten older, it's every single moment of every single day. Lord, help us to rest in you, knowing that as you provide for the birds of the air and as you clothe the lilies of the field, wow, how much more valuable are we? <laughs> and life is truly a vapor. Um, here today, gone tomorrow. And Lord, everyone in this room, every one of us will spend eternity in one of two places. That's what your word tells us. And Lord, I'd love to know that everyone in this room belongs to you. That they've confessed their sin, their need for a Savior in Christ, and they've trusted in what Christ did on the cross at Calvary for their sins. That he paid for them in full. And um, that they would live with the peace of knowing that their um, redemption is certain. And that one day, Lord, and it can be any time, you will come for your church. What a day that will be. I pray that everyone in this room is ready for that day. Help us to worship you today in a way that pleases you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Morning, church. You can remain standing. It's great to see everybody this morning. Um, I guess anxiousness is a battle we all face, right? It is a battle uh, that we face. I, as I was preparing for worship this week, the um, Lord kept drawing my mind to David, and I think he's a guy that knew a lot about battles and about anxiousness. And... Um, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that his life was one that was characterized uh, by praise and by worship. Uh, he wrote more psalms than anybody else. It says he played instruments. Uh, we can see in passages where he was directing uh, the people as king to praise the Lord, to worship him. He recognized that uh, praise and worship are weapons uh, that we use, uh, the Lord has gifted us with. Uh, and when the Lord Jesus hears us praise, he hears us expressing, uh, praise him, he hears us expressing faith. And so the Lord loves it. So for his sake, let's do it with all our hearts this morning. Amen. This is how I fight my 
is how I fight my battles. This is how I. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I. watched a video about this this morning, so let's sing it. Hey! 
mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of majesty, there is no power in hell, nor any who can stand before the power and the presence of the song we're going to sing for you guys is taken from a passage in uh, Daniel, story about three young men. I wanted to read just a little bit of it to you before we sing. Nebuchadnezzar, this is Daniel 3, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and bagpipe, all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. But if you do not worship, 
will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coat, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men were thrown into the fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. And he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men, loosed, walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Jesus will always be with us, guys, in every fire that we face. So just remember that as we sing this song. There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way the walls are closing in When I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There is another in the fire Standing next to me was another in the waters, holding back the seas. Should I ever need reminding how I've been set free? There is a cross that bears the burden, and another died for me. There is another in the fire. Another in the waters, holding back. 
There's a grave that holds nobody. Now the power lives in me. There is another in the fire. Oh, there is another in the fire. Oh, there is another in the fire. Oh, there is another in the fire. appreciate those that labor among us and thankful for the praise team and for all those who lead us uh, in song each week and uh, during these days they're doing it two services and that's a lot for them uh, to commit to and we certainly appreciate their commitment to that and um, I would love to have that song the great I am just come on my phone just automatically play at like mm, 7 in the morning, noon, 3 o'clock, 8 o'clock, right before I go to bed. What a song. 
I mean, what a truth. I mean, he is the self-existent, eternal God. And that's the one that we bow down to and worship. Well, we are, if you have not been following along or you just have been on vacation for several weeks, we um, took a little pause in 2 Timothy, and um, we are addressing church leadership and the issue of church leadership. And next week, we'll actually... Lord willing, we'll have a communion service. We're waiting to get those cups and wafers in. Hopefully that'll happen. If not, uh, there's always plan B. The Lord will provide that. I'm not worried about that. But you come prepared next week for hopefully a communion service together. And then the last uh, week of the month, we will have um, a message that uh, pertains to the fellowship of the body, the importance of that, and kind of how that looks uh, for us as believers. Um, this morning, we want to continue our discussion about the Lord's Church. Um, and that's what we need to keep, sorry guys, that's what we need to keep in mind is that this is the Lord's Church, okay? This is not that church. It is not your church. It's the Lord's Church. Y'all agree with that? The Bible says it. Even if you don't agree, it'll be fine. The Bible says it. He is the head of the church, okay? Christ is the head of the church. One of the confusing issues, I think, sometimes in um, local churches is to separate that from their pastor. Uh, the pastor is separated by giftedness. He is not the head of the church. Okay? Everybody understand that? He's not the head. But Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Please do not elevate man to that status. That is not healthy. Now, within the framework of the church, the Lord has then his body. And we're all part of the body of Christ, those of us who are in Christ. All part of his body. And within the body of Christ, there are those that are elders and deacons. Now, you may come from a different background, and you may have only had deacons, and the pastor's the elder. Um, you may have just had elders and no deacons. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what your background is. Um, but... What we can see here at Grace and what we stand on is the Bible seems to clearly delineate that there are elders and there are deacons, plural, okay? Men who shepherd and men who serve. And you're going to see in the text this morning that those who serve then allow the men who are elders to shepherd better, okay? And um, while their uh, responsibilities are different, their value is the same, their value is the same. And so that's very important to hear, okay? I grew up um, in Louisiana. Um, we moved there. My dad was in the Navy. We moved a lot. and So I went from California to Rhode Island to Louisiana. And I ended up in Louisiana when I was about five, between five and six. And um, we went to Lake Charles Bible Church. And um, that church had elders and deacons. In fact, my dad became... Um, an elder while I was there, and he was the designated head elder, which just meant he had more responsibility. So the picture I have of my father is a pain when it came to being an elder, even as a young person. You know, there's a lot of pain in the body. Did you guys know that? People hurt. You hurt. Right? It, it, people, the, listen, churches are filled with people who hurt. And there are issues that come up all the time. We do not put them on overhead but they come up all the time people hurt isn't it great that God had in mind shepherds 
who could come alongside and shepherd the sheep that are hurting. Um, we also had deacons. My impression of deacons was uh, Buddy Sweat. It always seems to be the buddies of the world. But my deacon that I had kind of kind of impressed me when I was a young person, his name was Buddy, ironically. And Buddy was my seventh grade boys Sunday school teacher. And my impression of a deacon was Buddy. He was six foot two, he weighed about 260 to 70 pounds. And when you walked through the door, he would squeeze your neck, like right there where you're like that. And he'd say, Good morning, Thad. Sit down. And that was just your warning that don't cut up. I'm not going to put up with it. So he would squeeze you on the neck, but he was also fun. He took us deep sea fishing, although I didn't know what I was doing. I had a good time. He was just great to be around. He was always among the people. I just noticed that his life was, he was just everywhere. There's Buddy there, and you think, well, he's over there too. Same time, you're like, Buddy's everywhere. He was among the people, and he was serving the people. One of the things that even impressed me as a young man is he did not pick and choose who he served. It's easy to serve the easy ones. Do you get me? It's hard to serve the hard ones. You say, well, Dad, there's no people that are difficult to serve. Have you taken a look? At times, it's difficult to serve people. That's just the truth. Okay? But it does not negate the responsibility that an elder and or deacon has to serve the body. And so, my impression of a deacon was Buddy Sweat, and I've never forgotten him. He is still very much alive and serving the Lord in the same capacity he was when I was a little boy and growing up in the church. I don't know what your impression is of a deacon, but I want to say that it needs to be a biblical one. Is that okay? It needs to be a biblical one. So that when you're considering those men that you would like to nominate for deacon, you need to consider what God's already said. We're not making this up as we go along. And on your chair, there was a handout given to you so that you can kind of work through that this afternoon in your spare time and kind of look at the qualifications, be reminded of the qualifications of deacons and so forth, and um, hopefully have a better understanding of what a deacon does after we're done this morning. Um, there's a man named Millard Erickson. He was a professor at Western Seminary, and he was a pastor, and he wrote books. And there was an article that he wrote that I found very interesting on Christian leadership and how that looks with leaders in the church, whether you're talking about an elder or a deacon. He wrote this, Christian leaders should be certain that their goal is to serve God and others. I like that order. To serve God and to serve others. Not to receive the title or honor that comes from leadership. You understand what I'm saying? You understand what he's saying? Leaders should not use their position to their own advantage, nor should any task be beneath them. In other words, church leadership just needs to have in mind serving the Lord and people. 
however that might look, and even in the most difficult of times. So this morning we want greater clarification on the role of a deacon, but I wanted to remind you, in case you weren't able to um, tune in last week or you weren't here, kind of just real briefly uh, mention what we discussed last week as it related to elders. Now remember we said elders are shepherds. They care for the flock. Okay, they care for the flock. They're among them. They're in their lives. Um, and they don't know exactly what's coming around the corner with sheep, but hey, they're responsible to be among them. The qualifications for elders are outlined in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And it, on your handout, you're going to see there's some pretty um, stiff requirements. Um, and I want to make this statement before we move on. You're never going to nominate any man that's perfect. There's no such person, okay? Um, but you look at these qualifications, and these things should stand out in their lives, having said that. Um, because we should just recognize those men, and, and, and Paul uses the term andros, which is men, so we need to recognize those men among us that shepherd, and we need to recognize those men among us that serve. That's God's plan for his church. And it is a protection plan. Um, and then we kind of looked at the, the life of an elder. We looked at the responsibilities that an elder has. And we took the passage in Acts chapter 20. We went through that. But I wanted to remind you of the three pieces of instruction that were given in that in, in Paul's testimony. First, remember he says, you know, guard yourself. You need to guard yourself and the sheep. And so... An elder needs to give attention to his life first spiritually. Okay, does that make sense? You need to pay attention if you're an elder to your life first. And so I'm an elder. I need to pay attention to my life, my Christian life first. How does that look? And then I need to pay attention to the sheep. And by the way, if I'm not paying attention to my life, when I'm among the sheep, I'm not going to be as discerning as I need to be. I'm not going to recognize as well. So I need to look at my own life first. And that's what Paul told the Ephesian elders. Then he said, be alert to false teaching. Which he says, are among you, there's false teaching in your midst. They can arise from among you, he says, and from outside. You know, it's one thing to deal with false teaching outside. I mean, we can point out false teaching. Hey, this guy doesn't teach about hell. You know, um, this guy, this church doesn't teach about sin. But... To recognize false teaching within your own body, that's painful. Can I just say that right out loud? It's painful. It's painful when men move away from sound doctrine. Years ago, I didn't use this illustration in the first service. The Lord didn't bring it to my mind, but he brought it to it right now. Years ago, I had a man come to me and say, Dad, my doctrine has changed as it relates to eternal security. I do not believe we are eternally secure. A leader. And I was like, okay, where do you get that? And so we looked together, and he took, from what I could understand in the context of the passage, out of context. And it was the only verse he used. I'm like, hold on a second. And I just said that to him. I'm bad about saying, hold on a second. I said, hold on a second. Let's investigate this whole issue in different books, not just this one letter. I said, what does it mean that we are sealed until the day of redemption? What's that mean? 
But is it important? Yeah. Aren't you glad we're sealed until the day of redemption? Yes. Aren't you glad we don't have to worry about our salvation once we're saved? So that conversation was interesting. And I felt sorry for him. Because I thought, Lord, you're the one who saves and you're the one who seals. And remember, First John, I've written these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is where? It's in his son. We do not give ourselves eternal life. The Lord does that. Isn't that wonderful? And so the moment you're saved, eternal life begins. You could just preach a message just on that. Which leads into this last point point that uh, Paul made as he's testifying to these Ephesian elders. He says, support the sheep. How do sheep need to be supported? Physically, sometimes there are physical needs. I believe in the context of Acts 20, that was the primary focus. But there's a secondary meaning in that word. It's spiritual. We support people spiritually. So that means we support people in their journey in the Christian life. Elders need to be always prepared to support the sheep in the Christian life as they live and walk. Are they going to have all the answers? No. But you know what? If we just concentrate on this book and looking for the answers to life, guess what's going to happen? We're going to spend a whole lot of time in this book. And we're going to be a whole lot more familiar with what God says about life. I can get opinions every day, all day. But it's what God says that matters in terms of our spiritual life. And so elders are among the people doing these things. There are further responsibilities. We didn't have time to look at them last week. But every one of these responsibilities that comes from the text in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 revolve around the Word of God. Do you expect your elders to be daily in the Word of God? Answer, yes. Always studying, always preparing, because we do not know when we're among the sheep what's going to come up. We don't know. I mean, if a person is struggling with their, the security of salvation, what do we need to do as, as an elder? Take them through. This is what the Lord says. This is not what I think. This is what God says. Right? And so I take the Bible and I open it up and I feed the sheep. I encourage the sheep. I guard the sheep through the word of God. And so he gives more responsibility as it relates to an elder. And I would encourage you to study through that. This afternoon, after you eat your bologna sandwich. It's a bologna sandwich today, fried bologna. How many of you like fried bologna? You know what's going to happen? There's going to be one or two of you go home and want fried bologna. That's what's going to happen. All right, let's go to the role of deacons. What is a deacon? A deacon, first of all, is a man. Paul uses the term andros when referring to deacons, just like he does elders. But we want to understand better kind of how that looks. And what's interesting in the New Testament, you don't have that many references. You don't have a whole lot to go on. Primarily what you have to go on is the definition of a deacon. So the term kind of defines the office. But if you, on your sheet, you'll see this as you're studying after you eat your bologna sandwich. The qualifications for a deacon are found in 1 Timothy 3. And I believe there's a picture for us in Acts chapter 6. The term deacon or diakonos is not mentioned in Acts 6, but there are some terms in the same family. All right, so 
I think it's important to note that um, as we get to Acts 6, you'll see that. You see a reference to deacons in 1 Timothy 3 and in Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers. Notice plurality. Pastors get themselves in trouble when they are the only ones leading. That is a fact. I've been in the ministry a long time, and I can tell you, guys have called me and been crying because they were being crucified by their congregation. I want to say right out loud, I am one of the elders. And my gifts include pastor-teacher, but you know, there are other men, I think, that have those gifts. And what distinguishes is the gifts. You say, yeah, but Thad, you're the pastor of the church. Okay, fine. Call me that, it's fine. But I'm an elder. I'm an overseer. And God has given me the responsibility to be among the sheep, just as he's given the responsibility to every other elder here. Now, I'm the one that gets up here mostly and teaches. But you know what? We have elders that can teach. They can be right up here doing the same thing. Do you remember what happened to me back in December? I went in and they cut my chest open and fixed me up. Well, there were other people that could, did what? Preached and taught the word. We're very blessed at this church to have shepherds who are in the book. But notice he says, overseers and deacons. Notice the plurality there. It's more than one. Guys, the Lone Ranger mentality is not a good and healthy mentality in the church. And probably some of you know it by experience by being in other churches where that's the mentality. I can tell you, I don't, I mean, I remember being in New York and we had, the pastor was the elder and we had deacons. And I thought, after being there five years, I thought, I do not want to be in a church like this. I mean, he was weighing down. I mean, heavy weighing down by himself. Now, he would hit me a few times, but that's hard when the pastor, because guess what's not going to happen? You're not going to please everybody. And as an elder, you're not out to please men. You're out to please the Lord, just as deacons are. So you see the plurality there mentioned in Philippians 1. The third observation, just an initial observation before we get to our text, is the definition of deacon. Like I told you, there's not a whole lot to go on in the New Testament but what we do have is the definition. The term is diakonos, and it's a, it means a servant or a minister. In the New Testament, diakonos refers to the Lord's servant. Underline that. It's the Lord's servant ministering to the church, which requires what? Hey, if, a, if you have a deacon, he has to be among the people. He has to recognize the needs which lead us to this word picture that I think is so awesome. Uh, the picture is the stirring up of dust by a man moving in a hurry, ministering to the Lord's church. Can you think of men like that in our own congregation? They're stirring up dust. Man, they're over here one day, and the next day they're over here, and the next day they're over here. I mean, they're everywhere. And you're like, how's that person everywhere all the time? They're not, but they seem like they are. I mean, they're ministering to the body. I mean, how many of you could stand up right now and testify to deacons in this church ministering to you. I guarantee you, boatload of stories. Because these same men ministered me. So, um, so we have to ask ourselves the question, what are you looking for in a congregation? Because you're, if you're 
part of the church, then you're in the congregation, then you ought to know what you're looking for. I mean, if you're going to fill out that sheet, what are you looking for? You're looking for the most popular person, you know? No, we're not looking for that. That's not biblical. We're looking for a man who meets the qualifications as outlined in the Word. And we are looking for men who are deacons who are among the people stirring up dust. That's what we're looking for. So you find you a duster who's out there, who's a godly man, who's ministering to the needs of people. Ask the Lord to help you in this process because you are part of that process. And then pray for the elders that we would recognize the Lord's servants because that's the responsibility that elders have. It's interesting that Gene gets um, in his book on church leadership he writes this that the specific functions for deacons are not spelled out in detail and that's true we just don't have that text that says a deacon is to do a b c d and doesn't have that but he says except the one that is inherent in their title meaning to serve who is the greatest example of serving class answer jesus christ he came to what? Minister, not to be ministered to. What a great picture. One of the greatest pictures of his service to people was in the upper room in John 13 when he washes the feet of the disciples. And you know who was still there in the room? Judas. I always found that to be interesting. That's a whole other sermon. So, in this name or title, deacon, we have the responsibility laid out for us. Now, I want to look at a passage of Scripture with you for just a few moments that kind of maybe give us a picture of the life of a deacon and the need for deacons. So take your Bibles and go to Acts 6, okay? Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to have the Scripture up here, so if you just want to follow along here, that's fine. But I think in this passage, set in the early church, you have spelled out clearly the need for deacons. Now remember, the word diakonos does not occur in the text, but terms that are related to diakonos are in the text. And those words are mentioned in verse 1 and verse 2. The word serving, verse 1. The word serve, verse 2. There are three different viewpoints on this passage. And I want to give them to you because I think that all of them have a place. Right? Because some people look at this passage and go, okay, the term diakonos does not occur, so therefore um, the author is not introducing an office. Well, but he's certainly introducing the function of men doing something that was critical in the life of the church. So I think if anything, it's a picture. But there are three different views. The first view is that in fact, this is the, these are the first deacons that are established in the early church. And they would use the argument of the word serve and the word serving um, to validate their position. But the second position is also, I, and I like that position. I, I'm all right with position one. I'm all right with all of them. Because I think they all kind of speak to the context. The second viewpoint is that this passage is a precursor to the office of elder. Oh, well, where does elder occur in Acts chapter 6? It does not. But who were the men who were leading spiritually? 
the apostles. Okay? What were the apostles to be devoted to? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So it's a precursor to the office of elder. And then the third viewpoint was that this was a temporary position for the purpose of meeting a specific need. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, I like all those. They all fit, right, within the context and framework of Acts 6. Um, but I want to begin in verse 1. I want us to kind of look through this for just a few moments. Let's look, verse 1, at the problem. Now, isn't it true when there are more people, there are more problems? Shake your head, yes, that happens. If you had a class of five kids in a classroom setting, there are going to be problems. But if you have 30, there are going to be more problems. Isn't that wonderful? Well, you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, look what the disciples were dealing with says, verse 1, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. You say, well, now how big was the church at this time? Good question. We know that pre-church, Acts chapter 1, before the day of Pentecost, there were 120 in the upper room. Okay, well, that's a pretty decent number, right? You can have problems with 120. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Well, then after Peter preaches his sermon, there's 3,000 that are converted. Uh Uh-oh. We just went up to 3,120. Potentially more problems? Answer, oh yeah, (laughs) think about that, okay? And then in verse 47 of that same chapter, it says that the church continued to increase in number. Okay, well, we didn't even put a number on that. It just said the disciples continued to increase. So we just use our imagination. Okay, there was 3,000. We don't know how many more, but a few more. And then we come after Peter's second sermon... We come to have even more. It tells us that there were 5,000 men, andros, just men, added. So now we're up to 8,120 plus. We don't know how many. Now, is that challenging? Answer, oh my goodness. We've got a problem on our hands. They're called people. What do we do with all these people? If issues come up, how do we handle it? Well, an issue came up. So we at least have 8,120 plus many more. Let's just throw out a number. 15,000 people. That's a lot of people. So look at the problem that arose. Imagine a complaint came with 15,000 people. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. These were Greek-speaking Jews who had swallowed hook, line, and sinker, the Greek language, and the Greek culture. But they were Jews. So a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews who were Aramaic-speaking Hebrews who were natives of Judea. Okay, well, here's the complaint. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So there were provisions made for these widows. We know that in the early church they were sharing together. Acts tells us that. That they were sharing things daily with one another. What's interesting is that the Bible doesn't say they were intentionally overlooked. We don't know whether that was true or not, but it doesn't seem to infer that. In fact, the word overlooked is really interesting. It means to compare side by side. 
Okay? Now, that makes sense to me. Okay, here's a complaint. They're comparing what? The Hellenistic widows to the Hebrew widows. They're comparing. They're going, hey, there's a problem. The Hellenistic widows are not receiving as much as the Hebrew widows. Is that a problem? Answer, yes. Okay, they have the same needs. So they needed to deal with the problem. If you compare something side by side, a lot of times you can really see the differences. Like first service, I used the example of Dr. Hughley. If I brought Dr. Hughley on the stage and put him by me, is there a difference? Answer, yes. Side by side, I am five foot something. And Dr. Hughley is not five foot something. He is six foot something. He's ginormous compared to me. And I said first service, he has a wisdom beard. I just have some growth that's on my face. There are a lot of differences between us. That's the picture. So you have side by side the Hellenistic widows and the Hebrew widows, and there just was not the equal service taking place. So we don't need to read into anything else other than that was a problem. And it was recognized. Um, And there was some displeasure and some complaining. Um, Well, how'd they handle it? I mean, what if you're one of those apostles? And all of a sudden, you went from 120 to thousands of people. Man, how do you... Do you just say, well, (laughs) hope it works itself out? No, you can't do that. What do you do? Well, isn't it great to know we got the answer right here? This is the response. Look in verse 2 of this chapter. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable, and that word means pleasing, for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Uh Uh-oh. There's two problems. There's not just one problem. There's two. One problem has been clearly defined for us. One was not being served as much as the other. Okay, the provisions weren't there as much as they needed to be. But the other problem is clear from this verse. It was taking the apostles away from what? The word. Okay? So, in fact, the word neglects a really strong term in the Greek. It means to leave or abandon something. And the tense of the verb means this. That that was starting to happen to them. They were starting to have to neglect the word in order to take care of the issue. Is that a problem for the apostles? Answer, yes. Why? Because they were commissioned to do what? He said, I don't know. Make disciples. You remember that verse? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what's the next part of that? Teaching them to observe all things. Uh Uh-oh. Well, if you're going to teach them, where does your face need to be? In the book. What was happening to the apostles? They were being moved away from their central responsibility. So what do you have here? Ah, man, I think there's a pretty good picture of not only the office of deacon and the need for deacons, but elders. Those men who would give attention, primary attention, 
to the word of God. And that's the centrality of their message. It is not desirable or pleasing for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Let me ask you a question. I did not ask them this in first service. Does neglecting the word of God happen in the lives of people? Class? Okay. Your expectation for elders is that they would not, what? Neglect the word, right? You need to have that picture. If you don't have it, get it today. Your picture needs to be, hey, look, elders need to have their face in the book. Okay? And they need to have it there a lot. But you know what I just challenge all of us we all need to have our face in the book a lot look at what's going on in our world I won't go through the list of things you already know them where is our face mostly that's a good question where's my face most is it in the book or is it trying to deal with the issues I don't control I think it's a good question because the temptation, and listen, it comes from the enemy. The temptation is to move away from the most important thing. And listen, the, the widows had a, had a need. And it was a legitimate need. And, and the apostles weren't saying, well, we're just going to forsake those widows. No, that's not what they did. But they looked and said, hey, we can't neglect the word. And it's happening, so we need help. And by the way, it's a good principle in your life to know when you need help. That's another sermon. I'm going to have to write these sermons down. That's another one. We can't do it all by ourselves, guys, in the ministry. We need help. So it doesn't matter what ministry you're involved in. You can't do it by yourself. God never intended it to be that way. So they recognized that that was going on. Well, what else takes place? What other response do they have? Verse 3, look at this. But select from among you. Brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Oh, okay, good. So these guys aren't sitting on their hands. They're dealing with the issue. And what do they do? They call the congregation together. And they tell them, hey, look, it's not good that we're having to neglect the word, but we want you to select from among yourselves seven men. Let's stop there for a minute. Why seven? Well, there's a couple of different viewpoints, and I want to give them to you, and you can chew over it as you're eating your bologna sandwich. Um, in businesses in, in Jerusalem in that time, typically they would have seven men who would help oversee a business. Uh, in Jewish towns, that was prevalent. So that could be why. They, they kind of got that number in their mind, like, okay, we need seven. Another um, potential uh, answer was that Jerusalem may have been divided, some theologians believe, into seven different districts. And so with those districts, then you could assign one man. I don't know if that's it or not. The third one, though, certainly has some validity to it because seven was the number of completion, as we know in Scripture. Okay, You have the seven churches, seven spirits, and so on. So... I don't know how they arrived at that number, but they did. And we look at it, we go, man, if there's 8,120 plus, however many more, up to 50, that doesn't seem like a whole lot. 
So maybe it was divided into districts. And you have to assume, too, I think, I think it's a good assumption that it wasn't going to be just those seven men doing the work. They were overseeing it, but they were really taking the apostles' place and overseeing all that distribution of the provision needed. But he says, select from among you, brethren, seven men of, and then he gives to them kind of a picture of what this man was to look like. Because that word men there is the word andros. It's not men and women, it's men. And I want to stop and say this. We appreciate the women that labor among us. I very much do. They labor in places that men aren't as good at. Okay? Um, I've never volunteered for the nursery. Now, women are really good with kids. I can make them cry. Okay? Uh, it, it's amazing to me when a mom grabs a kid that's bawling, all of a sudden, stops. So there's just something special there that the Lord's given. Women have a large responsibility and role in the church. And we appreciate those women that labor among us. We do. But we can't ignore the fact that when it comes to the term, it's the word men, andros. And the temptation in our culture has been that you would put women in positions of leadership, elder, and deacon. Was that biblical? I mean, just, I'm just asking a question. Is that biblical? If you're just basing it on the word, it's not. Women are not pastors. Women are not elders, and women are not deacons. You say, hold on a second, Dad. Have you not caught up? It's the 21st century. Well, who cares what century it is? Has the word changed? Hadn't changed. You say, well, yeah, but God, maybe God, you know. Well, no, he hadn't changed his mind. This is the way he puts it together. The issue is we have to accept it. That's the issue. And by the way, when you are charged with the responsibility of being an elder and deacon, it is an immense task. And you will, and I will, give accountability for how I led. That will happen. So we appreciate, ladies, everything that you do in the body. But in the context, he's speaking of men. He says, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So he puts some criteria here. Whom we may put in charge of this task. Well, what a picture. They're wanting to do what? Hand it off. That's a great picture, isn't it? That's what elders should do. Elders should hand off to deacons and do like this. Now oversee it, but hey, we ought to be able to wipe our hands. That's exactly what the apostles were wanting to do. Because they wanted to spend time wearing the Word. So he said, whom we may put in charge of this task. They wanted leadership. And notice how bad they wanted it. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Well, briefly, let me give to you the definitions of these words. Now, you can thank George Morange for putting that sheet together. He did it a few years ago. And so I just took it from his notes. I told him first service I'd take him to lunch or something. Right? Buy him some crawfish etouffee or something like that. But he defines here for us just what the Greek word has in mind. So a man, first of all, of good reputation. He, in other words, he has a good testimony. And notice it says here, to believers and unbelievers. That's important. You know, you want consistency. So you have a man who, who is stirring up dust and faithful and appears to be godly. But he needs to be that outside. 
It needs to be recognized. Um, a man well spoken of. Basically, he's talking here about a good name. In other words, hey, he stands strong as a man of the Lord. That's his testimony. I like what Proverbs 22 says, a good name is to be more desired than great riches. Not in our culture. <laughs> our culture, it's the opposite. Great riches are to be desired. Who cares about one's name? That's sad, isn't it? But that's what's happened. A good name is to be more desired. That's the idea there of good reputation. So he's to have a good reputation among the people. He's to be full of the Spirit. I like the way this, this um, definition kind of rolls out there. His life reflects the Spirit's control. In other words, from what you can see, it's not perfect. Remember, we're not talking about perfection. But this person has the testimony. In other words, it's his lifestyle that I see him controlled by the Spirit. It's his lifestyle that I see him devoted to Christ. It's his lifestyle that I see him uh, preserving the unity of the body. Believe you me, the unity of the body is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. And you can see through this, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, just how the believers there preserve that unity. And then he's to be full of wisdom. He demonstrates the ability to apply Christian knowledge to the affairs of everyday life. I have a friend who says to me when I'm asking him about things, he'll say, Thad, wisdom says. First time he said that to me, I was like, okay, but then you know what he did? He says, wisdom says, and he followed it up and made a statement, and it was from the book. A lot of the wisdom he gave me was from Proverbs. Wisdom says. So wisdom comes from the word of God. All right? So they were to have qualified men that were to help the apostles. Men, as he uh, states here, uh, men of good reputation, full of the spirit, and of wisdom. I want to go back and show you something real quickly because it can get lost. Look at that last sentence. So he gives them this picture of these are the kind of men that we want. But notice what he says again. But we will devote ourselves to prayer to the ministry of the word. You see that? I mean, two things are being dealt with here. We need help, but we need to be able to stay focused on prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. So, that's very critical to understand. And it's said in verse 3, excuse me, said in verse 2 and repeated in verse 3. All right, well, what was the outcome? What was the result? That's verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7. Notice what it says, verse 5. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Woo! When does that happen? And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus. I wish it was pronounced Prochorus, because then I could say he was, a sing he was a singer. But it didn't say that. It said Prochorus. And then Nicanor, um, and some of you guys are going to say Timon, right? But it's not here. It's Timon, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. Now what's interesting about this is that um, number one, um, you have unity going on. 
unity going on. And unity doesn't happen a whole lot. It's difficult to maintain unity in the congregation, but you can't help but observe that there's unity here. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, in writing about unity, says this, and specifically as it related to the context of this passage, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. Satan doesn't listen. It's wonderful to see all you guys here today. It's wonderful. I mean, this is the most we've had in second service in a while. Can I just say it's wonderful that we're able to fellowship together as a body of believers? Satan doesn't like that at all. It is his policy, Spurgeon said, to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. And might I say this? There's a lot of division right now going on in the church. A lot of division. I'll leave you to figure that out, but it's going on. The enemy is using what's going on in our world to divide the church. It is happening right before our eyes. And listen to me, I hate saying this. It will continue to happen. Satan is active. Spurgeon said, since union is strength, he does, does his best to promote separation. So the first observation you see is, hey, they were unified. And you know what? Secondly, the second observation is the seven men who were chosen, seven men who were chosen by the church, all had Greek names. Whoa. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? There was a sacrifice here made amongst the people who were being overlooked. The Hellenists, those who were Jews but had adopted Greek culture. And so what did the congregation do? They chose seven men who were part of that. Wow. I look at that and I go, that's pretty good. They handled the problem from within so it wouldn't rage like a fire. So they chose those men, the Bible tells us. And then the Bible tells us they brought these men before the apostles. So what do we see here? Uh, They knew the order. They could see, hey, look, we need to submit to these men. We need the approval of these men. It was a gesture of accountability and submission that they would bring them before the apostles. I like the way John Walford puts it about verse 6. He says, the prayer... For them, along with the loving, uh, excuse me, laying on of hands, was a gesture signifying commissioning and granting of authority to these men. So this is the picture. Here's the apostles. There's 12 of them. They say, here you go. They do like that. They pray with them, and they lay their hands on them. Signifying to the congregation, hey, we believe these men will do the job. What a picture, guys. What a picture. What a picture for the church. Right? A picture of what a deacon's life would be. One of service. Well, what's the rest of the story? That's not the end. Look at verse 7. I didn't put it in PowerPoint. Look at verse 7. Here's the rest of the story. After they bring these men before the apostles, and after they prayed with them and laid their hands on them, look what verse 7 says. It says, And the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith did their decision make a difference answer yes and you know what continued to move on the word of God and you know what happened 
people came to Christ. They did not ignore the problem. They dealt with the problem, and they said, Lord, we need seven men. And these are the kind of men we need, and this is what they need to do so that we can do our priority, which is the word of God and prayer. I just love the fact that in verse 7 it says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase. The Lord, listen to me, the Lord grows his church. The Lord grows his church. You're like, wow, Dad, but we're not seeing 3,000 and 5,000. I know, I don't know how many people are getting saved daily. Do you around the world? But I know the Lord's growing his church. And you know what? He's using people like you and me to plant seeds and water seeds. I'm going to close with this story. You ready? So Jackie Hansen went to be with the Lord not too long ago. I was eating lunch with Phil this week, and he wanted me to share this story. I said, well, Phil, I'll share it. Um, I don't know when, and then today it just fits so well. I'm like, Lord wants me to share it today. So we watched in this passage in Acts where the church is increasing in number, and people are getting saved, and... Um, Phil and I were talking about a young man who came to know the Lord after the memorial service that night. He's a little boy. His name is Kenny the Jet Rosenow. I call him Kenny the Jet. There was a guy at NBA. It doesn't matter. I just called him Kenny the Jet. And he loved it. At least he didn't ever tell me to stop calling him Kenny the Jet. And so... Um, Kenny the Jet was at the memorial service. And he heard the gospel. For I don't know how many times he had heard the gospel before. Seeds had been planted by his parents and by his family and by some of you, okay? That's the reality of it. But that night, after the seeds had been planted in his life and watered, God caused the growth, and Kenny the Jet gave his life to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? All God's people said amen to that, right? That's what it's about. So not long after that, um, Patrick and Christy wanted me to sit down with Kenny. And so we did. And I talked to him about the security of the believer. I, I just believe that's so important. And, and what had transpired in his life. And, and he looked at me and he said, Pastor Thad, you know what? I said, what, Kenny? He said, you're my brother. I was like, Lord, it's worth all the headaches and it's worth all the pain. One more was added to your church. Praise the Lord. You know, the apostles could have said, man, this is not good. We're washing our hands. We're moving on. Can you imagine? They probably had a few more complaints on the horizon. And they didn't do that. You say, why didn't they? Why did they handle the problem? I'll tell you why. They did it because they knew the Lord wanted them to make disciples and to watch him work. And they knew their priority was the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Well, I trust that you'll pray about your decision on who you nominate. And that when it comes to elders, 
that you'll nominate men that are shepherding, that are already among the people shepherding, already doing that. And when it comes to deacons, it's the same thing. They're stirring up the dust among the people, and they're serving others for the glory of God. Pray about that. Pray about that. If you have any questions about it, I'd love to sit down with you and talk about that. And you pray for the elders, please, that the elders will make wise decisions, godly decisions, as we move forward here at Grace. I'm going to say one more time before I close in prayer. Great to see you today. I'm thankful that you're here. Let's pray together. Well, we just see how you put things together in your church. And we, uh, our responsibility, Lord, is just to submit to what we have and before us and to obey you. And Lord, um, as you full, fully well know, your church is not perfect. But you have put together a protection plan for the church that we might protect one another spiritually and physically. And um, I just pray for the congregation that you would give them wisdom as to who they might nominate and for the elders as we go through the list and, and make the decision about who we see um, shepherding and serving, that, that the decision, Lord, would come from you, that we'd have clarity about that. I want to say thank you, Lord, for the ones that are here today, and thank you that we're able to meet. I thank you for the two services, the folks that are coming. I just pray for continued protection for our body, physically and spiritually, and Lord, that you would just um, watch over us and help us, Lord, to be most concerned about the things that concern you, um, and help us to consider what you desire for your church, and um, that we would just fall in line with that. Again, we just trust you and thank you for all the many blessings that we have in knowing you. And if there's anyone that's here today that doesn't know you, I pray that, Lord, your spirit would just work in their heart and convict them of their sin and their need for Christ. We just thank you so much for being able to worship you today. And I pray that our worship was pleasing to you in the name of Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.